It has certainly been an eventful few days. COVID-19, the coronavirus, has taken a grip on the country and the whole world. Students everywhere have found themselves in a situation of not just having their exams cancelled, but rites of passage, like leavers' assemblies and end-of-year proms, have also been taken away from them. And if that weren't enough, isolation and lockdowns mean that they can't rely on their typical social gatherings for support. Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy. In this series, I'll be talking to a range of experts, parents and students about studying and everything that comes with it. From nutrition to sleep, from stress to mental health, we'll be exploring how best to support our young people with their studies. Today, we're going to hear from Bronwyn Rashad. Bronwyn has been running Bristol's Resilience Lab and is now heading up OTR's training and enterprise projects. The lab aims to be a fun, relaxed, activity-based way of reflecting on and building the resilience and well-being of young people. Bronwyn has been working with young people in various guises for 20 years and has delivered Resilience Lab sessions to over 3,000 young people in the last year alone. Hi Bronwyn, thanks ever so much for joining us. So before we dive in, um, looking at resilience, I just want to talk to you about your school days. Uh, so if you <laughs> cast your mind back, not very far. A L- long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, were, how were you at school? What was your favourite subject and, and how were exams for you? I was a bit of a SWAT. I really, really, really liked studying I didn't particularly like the people that I was having to study with <laughs> but I, I think my favorite subject was well I had two it was drama and history those were the two ones that I really loved doing. So was it the anthropological studies at university that then led you into looking at <laughs> resilience because it, it seems like there's quite a natural connection? There does seem like there's a natural connection, but there's about about a 20 year gap. <laughs> I did do anthropology at university and between then and this job that I'm doing now for Off the Record in Bristol, I've done a very weird and wonderful assortment and collection of different jobs. Everything from being a goat herd through to being a pub landlady through to running a theatre company that was doing work with young people, which is kind of starting to come closer to what I do now. And yeah, and then eventually kind of getting this job with off the record, looking at resilience. And I have throughout my work, I've worked a lot with people, kind of teenagers and young sort of 20 somethings. Um, that's definitely been a theme as well. Sounds actually with that um, career track that you're a, a positive <laughs> poster girl, if I can say that, for um, our first podcast discussion where um, Dominique Thompson was talking about life being wiggly and, and not having a linear yeah. plan. So that idea then of things happening along the way, and I think it's fairly natural that we all suffer um, setbacks. So what is resilience? Isn't it just really a case of being tough? No, is the short answer. Uh, Actually, there's been several waves of research looking at resilience, looking at kind of personal resilience, but also sort of where resilience comes from. So is it something that people are just born with, that is innate in their kind of personality, or is it something that you can develop? Is it a combination of all of those things? And actually, the really strong message that comes through a lot of the research is that resilience isn't about being tough and impermeable and sort of like this crazy Terminator type character that keeps going no matter what. Even though that's, I think, a very common perception of what resilience is. Resilience is actually, it's our ability to recover after things go wrong 
but it's also it, it's it's a lot more complicated. So actually, we know that resilient people tend to be actually really good at knowing when they need to stop, when they need to take a break, when something isn't working and they need to try something new. Or they're also really good at reaching out and asking for help. So it's not that they're kind of keeping going, persevering, no matter what, you know, it's super independent. Actually, resilient people, often it's the thing that makes people resilient is the, is the relationships that they have. So it's not... It's not about them being able to kind of do it on their own, always on their own and being this kind of incredibly tough person. Actually, it's about them being connected and drawing on those connections and that help to help them through difficult situations and times. But yeah, there's lots of aspects to it. And um, some of it is to do with kind of our our kind of makeup, you know, what, what we're born with. But a lot of it is to do with our environment and we can definitely learn how to become more resilient. And so when you talk about there being different aspects of resilience, what are those um what are those different aspects that, that exist to resilience? So a lot of the work that I do is based on some of the research that came out of the University of Pennsylvania. If people are interested in this kind of stuff, they do a lot of um, work around positive psychology. So instead of looking at kind of people's weaknesses, looking at what people's strengths are and building on those. And the work from there, there was they kind of discovered what they thought were seven traits that you can actually develop and get better at that will help to boost your personal resilience. And they are emotional awareness and regulation. So that's literally like being able to say what you're feeling when you're feeling it, recognising where the emotions are. So and also, you know, being able to dig a little bit deeper. So when you're kind of feeling frustrated or whatever, actually being able to recognise is that anxiety actually that's making me angry or is that, you know, am I hungry? (laughs) You know, all those kind of things that feed into how we're feeling emotionally. And then the regulation is having some tools that help us to deal with that emotion. So it's not trying to stop the emotion, but it's actually having ways to kind of recognise it and then being able to move on from it. So we don't get stuck in the emotion. So that's emotional awareness and regulation. The second one is impulse control. So quite hard. It's the one that I struggle with probably the most. Um, And the one particularly for people in their teenage years is tricky because of the way that their brains are developing. Um, But impulse control is definitely one that's a really good one to develop, because obviously if we're feeling, you know, if we've had the emotional awareness of recognising that we're getting really angry with our um, family, the impulse control allows us to take a breath and maybe respond to that anger in a constructive way rather than, you know, slamming a door or like throwing something. Then there's flexible thinking. So flexible thinking is basically, you know, we all get these negative thoughts that pop up into our heads that tell us, you know, I'm a failure or I'm not doing very well or I'll never be able to do that or there's no point even trying because I'll get it wrong. Those kinds of thoughts, we all get them. Flexible thinking sort of allows us to be able to recognise whether they're true or not or how true they are, whether they're something that's just an opinion or a fact. It's also about seeing the world in a much more kind of 3D, full colour version rather than just black and white. The next one is realistic optimism, which is actually my personal favourite. I think there's quite a damaging message out there that if you just have a positive attitude, you can achieve anything, which is actually just not true for some people. Some people are in genuinely difficult situations that, you know, if you were to say, oh, you just need a positive attitude. I mean, a bit like the situation we're in at the moment, you know, yes, it's great to have some positivity and to kind of practice gratitude. But at the same time, this is a crazy situation. We've never been, you know, in history, we've never had a kind of pan global experience like it so realistic optimism is about recognizing what the reality is of the situation that we're in trying to put like a bit of a positive spin on it or recognizing the things that are working and maybe the things that are kind of okay 
also really recognizing the things that we can't do anything about. So at the moment, I cannot do anything about the fact that I have to stay in my house. I have to do it. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. So that's something that I, you know, I can't change. And then maybe thinking around like, well, what are the things that I'm in control of? What am I actually still able to have an effect on? So, you know, in my house, I'm still able to keep it nice. So it's actually a nice environment for me to be in. Um, I can make sure that we eat properly and that we, you know, have a not not like a strict routine, but, you know, that we get up in the morning, we wash we brush our teeth, you know, all those kind of things are under my control. And that's kind of about being realistically optimistic. Yeah. OK, I can't do anything about this big, wide thing that's happening, but I can control these things and I can look after myself. The next one is a funny one. It's called self-efficacy. So anyone who's hoping to study A-level psychology, you will come across this term at some point. Basically, it kind of means that you're able to predict that you're, you can get through something difficult in the future so you might have gone through experiences in your past that were tricky and hard and everything that you learned from those experiences you can take that information to be able to predict that you'll be able to get through something hard in the future in my past I have periods where I have had periods where I've not been very well for example and I know what helped what didn't help what I'd like to do differently next time what I would do the same and then I can apply those principles so I know that if I get sick again with this, you know, with the virus going around, these are the things that are going to help me. These are the things that are going to get me through. And I can predict that actually I will have a positive outcome. So it kind of gives us that almost like self-esteem, but it's based on action. So that's self-efficacy. Then empathy, which I think everyone knows what empathy means. But the great thing about really developing our empathy is that uh, you know if we put ourselves in other people's shoes maybe that will actually help with our impulse control for example mm. because the person who's really annoying us and irritating us and frustrating us that we're getting losing our temper over and we're kind of maybe our impulse control is under strain if we think about empathy if we think about what is that other person going through why are they being so annoying are they also really stressed are they going through something that's really tricky now, it doesn't mean that we forgive them or necessarily let them behave badly, but it might mean that we get a bit of perspective that means that we can react in a slightly different way to them. And then last but not least is reaching out. So they found that resilient people are really, really good at asking for help and knowing who to ask for help from. So, you know, you might have some friends that are super great for cheering you up and making you laugh and being silly with. They might not be the same people that you'd want to have like a heart to heart. And that's fine. And then you might have some people who are really good for offering practical help. So I know that there are some people that I can take kind of practical advice and um, instruction from. And then there are other people that if they try to do it, I probably want to kill them. <laughs> so it's like working out, you know, your style of help and what you need and who's the best person to kind of give it to you and 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 particularly at the moment looking at like online sources of support as well like reaching out to different organizations there's loads of stuff going on in response to the to the the kind of the thing that we're going through at the moment and then last but not least there was an eighth trait but they felt you couldn't learn it and that was a sense of humor but i don't know whether that's true i love the idea that uh, these aspects of resilience are uh, something that you can learn and then hone and develop as a skill. Mm. So how would you go about taking uh, the, the resilience aspect that you were looking at, um, so for mm. example, asking for help, how, how would you go about 
consciously trying to hone that uh, and develop it further? Well, in the workshops that I run, we we do this thing where we create almost like a, um, a map of support. So we draw essentially like a target, so lots of circles around each other, and you put yourself at the centre, and then you map on it all the people, places and things that give you support. So, you know, the ones that are closest to you are the ones that are super important. As I get further away, they're, they're kind of still important, but maybe not so kind of close. And the example I always give is, you know, I've got like my family and my children in my central circle and, you know, things like my house. So places are important too. And then in the outside circle, I've got Kevin, my postman. <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to have a heart to heart with him, but actually knowing that he comes every day and that he keeps an eye on my house is a, is a way that I get background support. And the part of the reason we do that is we need to kind of look at what support we've got already because that really helps us to kind of identify actually who are the people that kind of and the places that we really get yeah that support from what kind of support do they give so actually then making it a bit more nuanced a bit more complicated so this person actually I get a lot of fun and good times and they're you know someone I really enjoy like going out dancing with I wouldn't tell them my secrets because they'd probably be halfway across Bristol. <laughs> mm -hmm. This person is really good for practical help. This person's really great if I want to ask maybe to do shopping. You know, just really thinking through the different kinds of support these different people give. And then also in that workshop, we break down why people find it so hard to ask for help in the first place. Because actually, there's a lot of research that shows that to be able to kind of move past certain issues that people have, we have to really explore why they're an issue in the first place. And I know that sounds really obvious, but if we don't understand why it's difficult to ask for help, why people struggle with it, then actually it's really hard to, to develop it and work on it. And sometimes once we understand why it's hard and difficult, then that releases people from feeling any kind of guilt or shame that they might feel around the fact that they're not very good at it. I know that I'm not very good at asking for help. Now, I could just know that and know it as a neutral fact. I'm not very good at asking for help. Or what is more likely and what most of us do is that we'll know that about ourselves and then we'll feel guilt about it or we'll kind of beat ourselves up. Like, I'm not very good at asking for help. God, Bronwyn, that's ridiculous. Why, you know, you're an adult, you should be able to do this. Why can't you do it? That's, you know, a sign that you're not, you know, you're failing. You know, all these kind of judgments that we give ourselves. And actually, that's the bit that ends up making us feel really rubbish. Just knowing that you're bad at asking for help is just a neutral fact. And then it's something that you can work on. But if we kind of judge ourselves for being bad at it, that's when the problem comes in. At the moment, with exams being cancelled, the situation that any number of teenagers and young people feel and um, find themselves in from a parenting point of view we might be able to spot that things aren't right certainly we can um, we can empathize that yeah. things are, are difficult right now what are the kinds of things that parents should be looking out for do you think and also then what can what can parents do to help encourage mm. their children young people to to build resilience within themselves um i think any change in any dramatic change in behavior is something to look out for so that can go in lots of different directions but if if your young person's just not reacting the way that they normally would now i mean obviously we're in a weird time so everyone's going to be a bit topsy-turvy and you know up and down and that's completely normal <laughs> what i'm sort of saying is is a very distinct change in behavior so if someone's really kind of if they've been quite outgoing and they've become very very withdrawn or the opposite if someone's you know being withdrawn and they suddenly become 
really outgoing. So that's something to look out for. And you will have gut feelings about kind of whether they're okay or not, or whether they're just having a very normal episode of being a bit down, which is fine. In terms of things that you can do, I think having as much normality as possible. So, you know, like meal times, especially because we're all kind of living at home together now, you know, things like that are kind of much more of a thing. So actually having a meal together, we are all allowed to go out once a day for exercise. And I find that people tend to talk much more openly if they're walking by our sides rather than sat across a table being cross-examined. So actually, if you can, and if you can withstand the moaning, force your teenager to come out with you on your walk. (laughs) And any of you who've got pets, particularly dogs, if your young person's having a really rough time of it or struggling, get them to get them to do the dog walking, get them to take the, the animal out because having something that's kind of quite simple and quite straightforward just takes us out of ourselves a little bit. And it can be a really, really useful tool. I mean, we talk about pets so much in my sessions. Mm. <laughs> and it was really interesting. I once did that exercise of the circles of support. And one of the young women in the group identified that one of her big sources of support was her family dog. But she'd just recently come to university and actually she hadn't really realised how much of a knock it had been not having her dog around. And once she identified that that source of support wasn't there for her at the minute because she was at uni... She then went and um, signed up to a local um, animal shelter and started volunteering for them. So she got her kind of like animal animal kick, but also was doing some volunteering, which we know is good for our mental health, you know, mm. all sorts of repercussions like that. So I think sometimes that just that exercise of really working out who's there for us, what things are important for us can be really, really useful. Mm. And there was a good one that we put up on our website and all our social media yesterday, which is about sort of adapting our routine, sort of looking at, you know, what things we need to do every day that are enjoyable that are important and that are kind of the day-to-day maintenance type stuff and that's but all of that's useful stuff as well and the biggest thing that I have to say to parents is please please look after yourselves because if you look after yourselves and you're in a good place that is probably the best thing you can do for the young people that you look after Bronwyn, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Now more than ever, resilience is a vital skill. And encouragingly from what Bronwyn has told us, it's something that we can develop. And it all starts with a bit of reflection and honesty. I especially like that idea of coming up with the target diagram, where we can put ourselves in the centre and then map out in in the other circles the kinds of people, places and things that we rely on for support. Um, during this time more than ever it's the kind of thing that we should be encouraging our children to do as well as do ourselves and I think Bronwyn's last point there about making sure that we look after ourselves is also really important and thanks very much to you too for listening to the study sessions podcast we want to make sure that everyone who could benefit from listening is so please feel free to subscribe review and tell all your friends about it And we'll speak to you next week for another episode of the Study Sessions podcast.